my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow, And I'm Jesse Spur. And welcome to another episode of Five Things, where today we're looking at all things to do with the urinary catheter. And we're joined by Jess Dollinger, who is a urology nurse practitioner. Welcome, Jess. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming along. We'd love to hear a little bit about your nursing journey and how you've got to where you're at now. So I initially started out studying business fresh out of high school and was studying marketing. And after doing a few courses of learning how to trick people into buying things they maybe couldn't afford. With my friends studying nursing, with these stories of actually helping people, I uh, made the jump across to nursing and never really looked back. I imagine quite a few transferable skill sets though in terms of convincing and shifting behaviours and stuff. There's, it probably wasn't all wasted. No, definitely some communication strategies there that I think have crossed over have helped me. How did you get into urology? So I actually was offered a new grad position on the urology board here at the RBH. Um, I was a little bit horrified, to be honest, when I was offered the job because I'd never done any prax as a student in urology. All I thought was urine, that sounds disgusting. Um, So I took the job planning on moving somewhere a bit more glamorous, like ICU. And the the team on the urology board was such a great, supportive, friendly group of nurses that I just never really wanted to leave. I would have been exactly the same if I got offered it. I would have just gone, oh, is that just, wait, is it just plumbing and that's it? Wow, where's that going to go? What, what's been sort of the stuff that's got you to stick into it and then really, uh, I guess, explore further study about it? What, was there something about it other than just the people that you worked with? Uh, it's actually a really nice group of patients as well and it is something that is very nursing heavy. I think you can't get by... You can't get very far at all in urology without a lot of nurses. The doctors alone can diagnose them, but without nurses, we can't manage um, their continence, their catheters, their healing post-op. We really need nurses for all of that and to educate them. Uh, So it's an area that you do feel like you can make a difference by being calm and friendly and basically acting like nothing nothing phases you and nothing is a big deal to help them feel more comfortable with things that are really embarrassing. They're having to completely expose themselves to someone else um, and it's, it's very uncomfortable for them. So um, it's really rewarding knowing that they'll leave, leave the clinic feeling comfortable and relieved. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. Right, so Jess, your number one is indications for urinary catheter. Yep, so we use catheters in hospital for a lot of different reasons. Commonly, we put them in during long surgeries for post-op patients to uh, make sure that the bladder is draining while they're uh, under anaesthetic uh, and for healing after surgeries. Um, There are a lot of conditions that will affect the function of the bladder, so we temporarily need to put catheters in to protect 
the detrusor muscle of the bladder. We also see catheters in critically unwell patients requiring close fluid monitoring. Incontinence, urinary retention, there are a lot of different reasons and what we do need to focus on is what are the reversible uh, causes of not being able to empty the bladder adequately that as nurses we can um, negate to try and get that catheter out as soon as possible. And so what would they actually be? So, you know, how do, how do I, I'm a bedside nurse, I know that there's this problem, you know, for a whole host of reasons. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to avoid a catheter. What are some of the things that I can do that actually can help my patient? So the most common causes we see of patients having some urinary retention or some incomplete bladder emptying would be analgesia, constipation and immobility. So we can't always help the pain relief that people need, especially because uh, we need to help them be comfortable to get up and move around for their recovery. But we can make sure we make use of medications that don't cause constipation and that don't have an anticholinergic effect. Uh, and the main one would be Panadol. So making sure we use our regular Panadol doses uh, and then top up with the PRN, um, Endone or, or whatever we have. Um, anticholinergic medications do... Uh, relax the bladder muscle, which makes it harder for it to contract and actually empty the bladder. So that's a big one for helping people to be able to empty their bladder adequately. Uh, Constipation uh, is the other one we see a lot, especially in our post-op patients. Um, Once again, because of the anaesthetic, because of the pain relief and because of immobility um, and sometimes hydration as well. So um, actually monitoring our patient bowel movements, once again, using our PRN appearance if we need to, uh, can really help them to empty their bladder completely and also to help them pass a trial avoid in those patients that uh, did have a catheter in for their surgery. There's a few cases that I can really think of that by far and away it would, it would have been much, much easier the first time dealing with it to put a catheter in a patient because they were having problem voiding. I had one case um, in emergency where after talking to this fella, he he could only pee sitting on the toilet like he had decreased mobility but he'd tried over the years and he'd been in and out of hospital a lot he could not use a bottle in bed he could he would just he needed to go and sit over the toilet and it it would take him 15 20 minutes to be able to avoid obviously it sounds like he had some prostatic hypertrophy there um but that was his process and so facilitating that was crucial in avoiding it rather than just going, oh, come on, you've just got to try or going straight to I'll do a bladder scan, yeah, his bladder's full, we need to put a catheter in. So some of it is actually just doing that little bit of harder workload but also looking at the conditions that the patient needs to be able to urinate. Absolutely. We as nurses really need to put in place a toileting regime for patients both for their bladder and their bowel function but uh, a lot of patients do need that prompt to help them out of bed, get them to the bathroom and sit them on the toilet to actually try and empty their bladder, move their bowels and get things moving properly. Whereas if you do just leave them in bed, uh, laying flat on their back and do a bladder scan, as you say, they can end up looking like they're in retention, but they just haven't actually been given the opportunity to try and void in adequate conditions for that patient. So we do talk about um, timed toileting and the other one would be uh, double voiding which is those patients that maybe do have a little bit of incomplete bladder emptying, which can happen as a normal part of ageing for a lot of people um, and also the men with an enlarged prostate. Sometimes all they need is to 
be prompted to go and try and empty their bladder, uh, let them leave the bathroom and then go back in five or ten minutes later, turn the tap on and see if they can get more out. And it sounds ridiculous, but quite often there can be 200 mils left in after they're voided and then they go back in and can get another 150 mils out and that's going to be enough to keep them safe and decrease the chance of them having any complications related to incomplete bladder emptying like infection. So running the tap, is that actually really a thing? Like, because you hear it all the time. I don't know about the evidence of it. Anecdotally, we, we've had a lot of success with it and we do it all the time. And look, I'm going to, this is a bit weird, but after I had my second C-section, I literally could not pee and my bladder was so full and they were like, we're going to have to put the catheter back in. I really didn't want that to happen. And a midwife made me sit on the toilet and blow through a straw and I peed. It's got to be something related to distraction and like your brain attending to something else rather than feeling. It's like when you're lying in bed trying to go to sleep and you're just feeling the clock ticking and Mm. you keep telling yourself to go to sleep and the last thing you're going to do is go to sleep. There's got to be something in that. We should study it. A lot of people do have performance anxiety when it comes to trying to empty their bladder. Uh, In the urology clinic, we do uh, a lot of voiding assessments and a lot of people are unable to to void the way they normally would at home. Happens a lot, yeah. Sing a song. I need to pee. (laughs) Do you want that left? (laughs) I actually think you should. All right. That's good. All right, so your number two are the risks associated with catheters. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So there are uh, quite a lot of risks associated with using urinary catheters and the the most common complication is by far infection. Um, And it's a a really big issue both for the patients, um, their length of stay, uh, the healthcare system um, and the wider community because it can cause antibiotic resistance as well. Um, so the, the latest stat that I had was that every day a catheter is in situ, there's a 5% risk to that patient of developing a UTI, which is pretty significant. So we, that is why we advocate for um, every catheter to be removed as soon as possible because it does make a considerable difference. Um, and, of course, as we know, infection can um, progress. Um, with a bladder infection, it can progress to pyelonephritis, urosepsis, bactremia, um, so the, the best thing we can do is to, to not use them where possible. Um, the antibiotic resistance uh, is an issue even for patients that haven't got a urinary tract infection. Simply having a catheter in uh, will produce a, a layer of biofilm. So a layer of bacteria will form on all catheters within a few days of it being put in. And, and that bacteria can easily end up resistant if we're treating the patient with antibiotics for any other type of infection. So just giving a patient antibiotics when they have a catheter in can cause resistant bacteria to, to be left on that catheter. And it's really hard to kill bacteria that's on a catheter. Um, and of course, that makes it harder uh, for the community as these types of bugs can spread easily. So it's bad for like everyone when someone's got a catheter left in for longer, not just the patient. Absolutely. Look, yeah. I'd imagine if I'm a a new nurse and I'm trying to get my head around a whole lot of things with a complex patient. Um, is there kind of a sense that having a catheter in is easier in inverted commas? Um, and, you know, like how do we kind of overcome that myth and, and promote obviously 
all the important reasons why catheters shouldn't be in. I think it's not just the new nurses as well. Often the patients, if they have, a, if it's not a long-term urinary catheter for them, perceive it as easier because right. they're worried about having to get up and go to the toilet and pain and all of those things. So it, it, it can be like increase your workload by taking it out and it can also they, they you mean you have to do quite a bit of coaching and support and optimising conditions for the patient to feel like it's the right thing to do too. So. Absolutely. There, there are a lot of patients that um, are fatigued or they're feeling weak or they've got pain and they don't really want to get out of bed. They don't want that catheter to come out. Um, and it's a difficult group to manage. Um, I think we do need to educate the patients that it is in their best interest to remove it and to help the patient to be aware of the risks to, to their own health um, in having that catheter left in. Um, Catheters being put in for incontinence is a is a big issue uh, that happens in in healthcare everywhere really, um, and I, I acknowledge that it is uh, faster for a nurse to empty a, a drainage bag rather than do pad changes frequently, um, but the risk of infection, delirium, um, and then dislodgement that can come with that and the harm that can cause the patient is so much greater than the the extra five, ten minutes to change a pad regularly. So we, we really just need to be focused on on the outcomes to the patient and how much harder it is to, to deal with that confused patient pulling pulling everything uh, and trying to climb out of bed. Um, but in the long run, it's, it's less work to just take the catheter out. Yeah, right. So Jess, your number three was catheter selection and catheter tips. So there are a couple of different options when choosing a catheter for the patient. Uh, The aim of a catheter and choosing which size we want is to make sure that it's going to drain the urine as quickly as possible without causing any unnecessary trauma. So the larger bore the catheter, uh, the more urethral trauma it's going to cause and the more irritation for the patient. So we generally, as a rule of thumb, will say a 12 or a 14 for females and a 14 or a 16 for males. Um, but it is patient-specific. You do need to assess your patient's individual needs. Um, if they're bleeding, if there's debris in the urine, um, you might need a larger bore catheter. As far as catheter material goes, the two main types we have in, in the RBH would be silicon catheters or a latex core catheter with a hydrogel coating. So the silicon catheters are the clear ones that we see in most cases. Um, they are great for latex allergies, they drain really well, they are quite small on the outside for how large the drainage lumen is on the inside, so they're really good for patients that do have a bit of blood in the urine or just debris or calcification. Um, they, the flip side of those is that they're not quite as comfortable as a hydrogel-coated catheter, so they're a bit firmer um, and that's the best they can do with the silicon, unfortunately. The latex core hydrogel catheters are those cream brownish type catheters that we see a lot of that's your standard foley's um, uh, because they are a latex core they are contraindicated for anybody with a latex allergy um, but they can be used for patients that don't have a latex allergy especially patients that are quite sensitive and are getting a lot of irritation from having a catheter in uh, that hydrogel coating um, is very kind to that mucosal tissue of the urethra um, they're really soft, uh, pliable. They kind of move with the body a bit more. So they are a nice option for people that have a lot of discomfort. 
they don't drain quite as quickly for the the size of them because the the drainage lumen inside is a bit smaller. Um, but those are the two main options. So it's really uh, patient specific once again. In terms of tips, you know, is there something that we need to do for insertion? As a non-nurse, even talking about this, like I can feel pain, you know, I imagine, is it, is it a hard skill to learn? It's not a hard skill to learn. It's one of those things that you develop a bit of a, a feel for. Um, the, the most important thing with putting catheters in is really to make sure that you know what you're looking at and you properly set up the patient. They know what's going to happen uh, and you set up your, your environment uh, so that you can see what you're doing and you can do the procedure uh, in a really clean, aseptic, non-touch technique way to reduce the risk of causing an infection by putting in that catheter. Uh, so some of my tips, I guess, for, for female catheters would be making sure that the, the room is well lit, you bring the bed right up as high as you need to and you get a second set of hands if you need um, a lot of women, especially when they're not well and they're in hospital, they can't move very easily. You might need a second set of hands, uh, another nurse to help you hold her legs, to hold her in a position where you can actually see the urethra. Um, some women, you might need a, another nurse in sterile gloves to actually help hold the labia part so you can see the beatus of the urethra before even attempting a catheter because uh, just pushing around blind is just going to pick up bacteria and push that straight into her bladder. So. Um, really being properly set up before you even attempt a catheter uh, would be my biggest tip. Yep. Um, for male catheters, um, using the whole tube of lignocaine lubricant gel um, down the urethra before starting uh, is imperative to try and get that catheter through the prostate. Um, we always say... If there's too much resistance for any catheter, stop because you could create a, a false passage and cause trauma. Uh, in male catheters, the prostate can cause some minor resistance. To help get through the prostate, we usually suggest to hold the penis at a 90-degree angle from the body straight up. Um, and then when you start to feel resistance at the prostate, you can move the penis down to a 45-degree angle which sounds strange, but it can help straighten out the urethra inside uh, and help guide the catheter through that curve in the urethra to get up into the bladder without causing trauma to the prostate. Um, the, the other, uh, com not common, thankfully, but the other mistake that can happen and have some really serious consequences would be to inflate the catheter balloon uh, before the catheter is in into the bladder. So when the catheter is still in just in the urethra, um, specifically in the prostatic urethra. Um, so I think that some nurses previously have been taught that as soon as you're in straining, you're safe to inflate the balloon. It's not the case, especially in men, you need to put the catheter in as far as it will go all the way to the wire junction and urine needs to be draining uh, before you inflate the balloon. And even then, go very slow, check for discomfort, check for pressure. Uh, to make sure you're actually in the bladder. You don't want to do a balloon terp. <laughs> what does that mean? Transurethral resection of the prostate. Oh. So inflate the balloon inside the prostate. Yeah. Do, yeah. So inflating a balloon in the prostate can cause a lot of bleeding, a lot of trauma, uh, and that 
patient can have scar tissue in their urethra for the rest of their lives, which can require ongoing procedures forever. Yeah, wow. So. I was going to say, how do you practice putting in a urinary catheter if without a live patient? Are there, are there mannequins? Are there... There are mannequins. Uh, we have one in the urology clinic we use for education and Seymour have some they use for the medical uh, education as well. I'm not sure about the universities, but I'm sure some would. So you, you can do sessions um, with the mannequin to learn how. But with nursing, as we know, a lot of our practice comes from uh, learning on the job as well, under supervision, of course, because uh, everything's different with a real person. And bef- I can see the cogs turning. It's not one of those things you practice on each other as students. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to ask that. This whole conversation, I'm like doing this wincing face like, ow. Um, if a catheter is going in properly, like how much discomfort or pain would a, would a patient, you know, if I'm learning and someone's saying that, oh, that's a bit sensitive or like how much, how can you determine, yes, it's in the right place? It can be difficult uh, because everyone has different thresholds for pain and discomfort. It shouldn't be agony for anybody. Um, and if it is, you need to stop because something's wrong. Um, a little bit of discomfort is common, especially um, in patients that have enlarged prostates. Um, it can be a bit uncomfortable, but it should it should settle really quickly, and it shouldn't be building. Yeah, okay. I think often it's the thing too is the local anaesthetic gel doesn't work immediately. Like I, the amount of times I've seen people squirt it in and then just go bang, go follow it, follow it like a chaser. Um, particularly with a male insertion holding the penis at 90 degrees for a, a minute or so after putting infiltrating the gel, I found you'd, you'd get so much less sort of reluctance and, and um, negative feedback during the catheterization. Absolutely, and actually uh, instilling it slowly so that it does actually go down the urethra. Um, yeah, some, some nurses actually will try and push it down with the syringe. It feels a bit strange, but um, that's a, an anecdotal <laughs> um, evidence, I suppose, that they, they think that it helps push it down into the urethra to make it more comfortable. Um, yeah, just all those, those little tricks of what can help make it a bit more comfortable, but the lignocaine gel does take uh, several minutes to really start to kick in. Mm. Before, just one before we move on, and I know this isn't my podcast, but it's a, <laughs> it's a practical thing where possible in environments where there's lots of people just busting through the curtain or into the room. I've, I, I picked up a few years ago turning the bed around so that, that the patient's facing the wall and it's so normalised for us not to knock on a <laughs> knock or before coming in um, that that's just been one of the one that I would say is worth the, the minute to spin a ward bed around so it's facing the wall and um, get yourself set up to do the catheterisation. Absolutely. Or if, if there's someone, if there's a student or an AIN or anyone who can stand outside if yeah. that's not possible, uh, just to stop people from walking in, especially in the emergency department or other departments where people are really busy and there are a lot of different people coming to see that patient. It does make a big difference to the patient experience as well as uh, the ease of getting the catheter in and their discomfort um, because if someone is really tense going to make it harder for that catheter to go in Uh, their muscles are fighting against it which is making it uh, more uncomfortable for them and harder for the nurse doing the catheter and just from a dignity point of view i mean could you think of anything worse than having your legs splayed and someone's trying to put in a catheter and you feel like you're like whoo to every single person that's walking past yeah you're a curtain away from being exposed to everyone yeah 
Really important. All right. Your number four is best practice. Tell us exactly what is best practice when it comes to urinary catheters. So the number one for best practice would be hygiene. Uh, and this includes both uh, educating the patient in how to take care of the catheter and for the nurses to assist where needed. Um, so you do need to clean around the catheter uh, at least daily. And if the patient isn't able to do this themselves and the nurse needs to help them to do this, soap and water is fine for that, but it does need to happen at a minimum once per day. And that's to decrease the, the bacteria that's collecting on that catheter from migrating around the catheter up into the bladder. Um, and our five moments of hand hygiene is also a really important uh, factor in keeping the, the closed drainage system uh, safe from bacteria. So when I say closed drainage system, uh, it's a closed system from the catheter inside the bladder uh, through to the end of the drainage bag. So we're trying to, to not uh, unnecessarily change the bag, not take samples, uh, by disconnecting the drainage bag from the catheter, uh, basically not do anything uh, unless we really need to because every time we open up uh, the system, we're allowing bacteria to potentially get inside and move into the bladder. So, of course, we need to empty drainage bags, um, but we need to make sure that our hands are clean. Uh, we're not touching the, uh, the outlet of the drainage bag on anything non-sterile um, and that we're keeping it off the floor. Um, we also need to make sure that the catheter is draining well, uh, allowing urine to pool inside the bladder uh, is a reservoir for bacteria to multiply. And as we know, the catheter will be covered in bacteria, so we need to at least keep the bladder empty to stop that bacteria from turning into an infection. So it's really important to make sure that the drainage bag is below the level of the bladder to help it drain properly. And that if you notice that there isn't much urine output in the bag that you do a bladder scan to see if that catheter is blocked. So as far as educating the patient, um, they really need to be involved in their care and aware of the devices that we're using for them to help them contribute um, and to help them feel confident, confident and comfortable, as comfortable as possible with having this invasive device in. Um, so where possible, most people will prefer to, to clean themselves um, with men that have foreskins you need to educate them to pull the foreskin back and clean underneath that. Um, later on in people's um, journey, as they start to recover, we can use leg bags if appropriate and help teach patients how to use that themselves. We also recommend using a securement device for all catheters. Um, we've got a few different brands of these available in the hospitals and all areas should have them on impressed. Uh, so if you don't, do talk to your numb. Um, the, the most common one is a stat lock, um, so similar to what we use for PICS, um, but it goes on the upper thigh, and what this does is hold the catheter in place so that as the patient moves, if that catheter drainage bag is getting pulled on, it's pulling on that securement device on their thigh instead of directly onto the catheter, uh, which can cause trauma um, inside the bladder neck or at the prostate. As far as that closed drainage system, there, there should be needleless sampling ports on all drainage bags available uh, in the hospital. So if you do need to take a urine uh, sample from a drainage system, we just need to clamp below the level of the sampling port, um, swab with alcohol, 
put in your syringe um, and draw the urine out that way. We shouldn't be disconnecting the bag to get a sample and we should never be getting a urine sample from a drainage bag because there will be bacteria in the drainage bag. So if that um, urine comes back positive for bacteria, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an infection. Right. Now your number five is important tips for discharging patients with a urinary catheter still in place. I, I actually don't think I knew this was a thing. How often does that happen? So it's quite common for urology patients, very common. Uh, we have a lot of surgeries where catheter needs to be left in place um, for healing for our prostate cancer patients who have a radical prostatectomy. Um, they actually have their bladder has to be joined to the urethra joined back together after we take the prostate out. So we need to leave a catheter in to let that area heal. So there are quite a few people that go home with catheters in. The other main group would be the patients that present to emergency in urinary retention. Um, And that's a particularly stressful situation because it's completely unplanned and they come in in a lot of pain. Um, So for these groups of patients, uh, it's really important to educate them, reassure them, make sure that they're really comfortable and competent to take care of the catheter by themselves uh, and that their family or carers are involved in education of how to take care of it. Uh, We need to make sure that there's a plan in place for that catheter. If it's going to be a long-term catheter, who's going to change it, who's taking care of it, Um, and if it's a short-term catheter, who's removing it, when are they removing it, and do they know that they are responsible for removing it. So we need to make sure that referrals have been put in place. A lot of patients get referred to the trial avoid clinic, um, and that is an internal referral form that needs to be sent through. Um, Patients need to be given enough supplies to take care of the catheter themselves, change the bags, uh, use overnight drainage bags, until they come back in for that catheter to be removed, if that's what's happening. Uh, Taking into account um, other areas um, can be busy at different times. So uh, we can't necessarily promise a specific date to a patient um, unless you're the department booking that appointment. So I'd always prefer patients be sent home with extra supplies rather than not enough because there's nothing worse than a patient frantically ringing around the hospital because they've run out of supplies for their catheter in an already stressful situation. Yeah, stressful for the patient and uh, not a great use of resources for the hospital either. What do you do for the nurse who is just terrified to do a catheter? So I would hope that on most wards there's at least uh, one nurse that does feel comfortable and competent uh, in changing a catheter and they could support that person. Um, if not, we don't want nurses to, to be doing any kind of procedure on a patient that they don't feel comfortable or competent to do. Um, so seek supervision if appropriate. Um, escalate to your team leader if it's not something that you do have the skills to do, if you haven't done before. Um, we have a group of nurse educators, a really supportive nurse educators that during business hours can help support nurses um, at the urology clinic where possible, we're happy to support people as well um, and try and run some education for them. We also have uh, an updated uh, procedure on urinary catheters that's um, quite thorough. There are videos as well um, available on the LMS that actually show you all the steps of how to do catheters. So as a refresher um, or for someone who's new or haven't done very many, it's a good resource to have a look. Um, And that's called 
Corti e-learning um, and there are three different courses. Uh, there's one for junior medical staff, one for AINs and one for nursing and yep. they each have different content depending on um, what each uh, professional group needs to know. Yep, so the, the nursing one does have videos and information on how to put in catheters. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to have a go. I've been so enthralled in this because I know nothing about it. Um, I'm summarising, so please feel free to jump in if I leave anything critical out. So your number one thing was know what are your indications for urinary catheters um, and that can it sounds like that can be acute and chronic, um, that people have to understand that there are sometimes, you know, particularly during surgery, post-surgery or, you know, when people are just too ill or too injured um, that using a urinary catheter is a really good option but it should never be the only option. You know, we need to explore things first because your number two is the risks associated with catheters and it sounds like infection and bacteria growth is, you know, the number one concern about that and also when people have got catheters in, they're not mobilising, they're at increased risk of delirium and all of those other uh, nasty things that can happen when patients are immobile. So your number three is catheter selection and catheter tips. So I guess what I heard you say is put lots of lube, you know, like it not only makes it easier to pass, but there's a local anaesthetic on there. And to give that a chance to actually start to work before you insert the catheter, then you're much more likely to have success. Uh, I'm going to try and remember the penis holding, but it's like 90 degrees in the first instance. And then when you get to the prostate, you drop it down to 45. 45. Yep. I was listening. Um, in terms of that, and you know, that it sounds like there's a real feel for this where you can sort of think, yep, that's, that's in the right spot. And also for us to be taking some cues, obviously, off our patients. And if they're in agony or escalating pain, stop immediately. Uh, maybe you're in the wrong place. Number four, best practice. Um, I guess the thing I heard was hygiene, hygiene, hygiene. Uh, get your hands as clean as they possibly can. Set up your environment really well. Make sure it's sterile. And for the sake of our patients, make sure it's somewhere confidential where they're going to be able to feel relaxed because they know their privacy and their dignity is going to be assured. So where possible, get someone to stand outside the curtain and say, no, this is a no-go zone. We're putting in a catheter. Or as Jesse was suggesting, if you don't have that level of resource, you know, try to turn the bed around so the person is facing the wall. So if someone comes in, what they are going to see is the top of their head rather than their naked body. Number five is important tips for discharging patients that there are a number of patients, particularly urology patients, who will have to go home and they need to be very confident that they understand about hygiene, you know, that they can keep the area as clean as possible uh, and where to go if they, I guess, if they get into trouble and also to make sure that that catheter is nice and secure. Did I forget anything? One more thing that I forgot was with discharging patients with a the catheter, there are uh, support uh, supports in place that we can refer to, like the post-acute care team who can go out to the patient's house, help them with changing the bag over and check in with them. 
um, and our discharge facilitators who also can help refer to community nursing organisations if needed for those people that do need that little bit extra support or for long-term catheters that might need to be changed. Yeah. It's a really interesting and important part of care. So Jess, thanks so much for joining us on Five Things. Thank you. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things. 